0: Okay, just, just for the record, I will be out the next two weeks working, so there will be no Tuesday morning Bible study the next two weeks. And I'll, I'll text everybody when we're ready to go again. <laughs> we're in Acts chapter 24, and I'll read Acts chapter 24 in its entirety, and then we'll go from there. And after five days, <coughs> Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul and when he was called forth tertullus began to accuse him saying seeing that we by thee seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence we accept it always and in all places most noble felix with all thankfulness notwithstanding that i be not further tedious unto thee i pray thee that thou wouldst hear us of thy clemency a few words For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain Lystras, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom they mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, Forasmuch as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things where they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope towards God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscious void of offense toward God and toward men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had aught against me. Or else let these same hearsay if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them Touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lystra the chief captain shall come down. I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. And he hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him, Wherefore, he sent for him the more often, and communed with him. But after two days, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. And thus is the reading of God's word. (coughs) Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee that you would open up your word unto us, that we might again appreciate the depravity of man, and the sovereignty, and grace, and mercy of God. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, when you read through this section here, and you read through the local newspaper, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of similarities here. Um, this takes place in the year about 58 AD, and we can nail that down fairly well, because um, uh, the governor uh, Felix was appointed governor of Judea, and he served between the years of 52 AD and 60 AD. And you can see that here in verses 24 through 27 that he keeps Paul for a period of two years and then he's removed from office. So he was removed from office in 60 AD so that, you know, with this trial here and as 24 begins, takes place in about 58 AD, which, according to the clock, as we say, they've got 12 years to get things straightened out before God's going to destroy them by the hands of the Romans, um, which they're not going to do. So in big picture here, I want us to appreciate that Paul is in the midst of a bunch of corruptible people. That's the nature of man. These guys are corrupt and they are no different whatsoever than what we see in Sacramento or Washington DC. Felix has been married three times. Drusilla, his wife here, uh, it's his third wife and he convinced her to marry him she was married to another man and then who <laughs> circumcised himself so that she would marry him and then he took her from that uh, husband and so he married she married him so it's his third wife Drusilla is a sister to King Agrippa II who's going to show up in in chapter 25 um, also sister to Bernice which is King Agrippas sister in Acts chapter 25 um, <laughs> King Agrippa II is living with his sister and they're having an incestuous relationship. So these houses, yes, these houses are really messed up. These people are very corruptible and they are very much in the flesh and they live according to whatever their fleshy lusts are. Um, You can see here that he desires to take a uh, bribe from Paul. Um, His rule, Felix's rule, was known for being um, cruel And he desired to please people. And so you can just picture him as our typical political gladhander that we have in office today. And while we would look at um, our certain governor and talk about, I think we might have mentioned Sunday that he's possibly having an affair, but he'd had another affair and then married another woman. And so you see that take place just as it does in the Bible. you got the same stories going on in our political leadership today. And in the book of Daniel, uh, it says there that God... Uh, puts whomever he will in rule and he places the basis of men in office. And you s- we see that here in the Bible and we see that uh, happening in our world um, today. Uh, Bernice, uh, King Agrippa's sister with whom he's having an incestuous relationship, later has, um, becomes mistress to uh, Vespasian, who becomes emperor, and his son um, Titus, who also becomes. Um, emperor. So these are well-placed people within the political um, arena. Felix would get himself in trouble, not infrequently, and would rely upon the uh, political influence of his brother to get him acquitted which he did. And so eventually here he's removed from office in 60 AD and uh, through his brother's influence he's, he's acquitted. That's not unlike we see again in our political establishment today where these political people get themselves into trouble. It'll break out in the papers very briefly and nothing ever seems to happen. They never seem to suffer the consequences of their action where you think they would end up in jail. Um, but they don't. So nothing has changed under the sun, as it says in Ecclesiastes. You know, those things that were are the things that are happening now, and what's happening now is, are the things that are going to happen again. <coughs> so I want to set this before us here, that Paul is really moving in a, in a very uh, corrupt political environment, which is very much uh, the way we live today. Now, he is a shining light in the midst of all of these people, as indeed every Christian um, should be. When you consider the letter that um, Claudius Leistris wrote to the governor Felix, his description of what took place on the Temple Mount there, um, it's mostly true, but it's not entirely true. You know, the scripture says that each man, everyone, will declare his own goodness. That's uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man, who can find? Well, only Christ is faithful, and we are faithful so much as Christ works in us. And so I certainly appreciate that uh, when Claudius Lystra writes the letter to the Governor Felix, that he would uh, paint things in a light that would uh, make him appear that he handled everything very well. Um, and he did, a, he did a good job, to be honest with you, but he doesn't give things quite in the order that they happen. He did not understand that Paul was a Roman immediately, he was fixing to scourge him. No mention about that, just that, hey, I knew he was a Roman, I went down there and I took care of him and I, I, I made sure that, that he was safe. Um, and so now we're going to be down here in uh, Caesarea in uh, Acts chapter 24. And this man, Tertullus, is going to represent Satan because what is Satan? What's it say about him in Revelation chapter 12? He's the accuser of the brethren. And that's what Tertullus is going to do. He's an, he's an orator. He's a professional orator. He's a professional accuser, if you will. And he's going to um, accuse Paul before uh, the Roman uh, governor. Now, keep in mind here that the people that have come down from Caesarea are guilty of conspiracy to murder Paul. So he's surrounded by these people that are that have been trying to kill him and they've been trying to kill him uh, without cause. And so this orator starts out and he obviously, um, as you can read from his uh, speech here, the first thing he does is he flatters. And um, what's grievous about his flattery there is that he says that they owe their um, the um, providence and the things that they've enjoyed as a nation in verse 2 there, he says there, seeing that by thee, by the hand of Felix, we enjoy great quietness and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. Well, there's some truth in that. According to the commentators, he did help establish law and order in the country, but he was a, he was a, a corrupt individual. Felix was. But of a truth, everyone, uh, Christian certainly would appreciate that if we enjoy peace in this nation, it's by the providence of God any prosperity that we might have would be due the hand of God and so we would thank God for the things that we have and the prosperity and peace that we have and most certainly not a particular individual now God can work through people um, towards those ends and he indeed does but you definitely need to thank God and appreciate that these things come from him and not from men Um, the Lord says that um, when a man's ways please the Lord um, he is at peace. He's at peace with, with his neighbors if his man if his ways please the um, Lord. So if, if we have peace with our neighbors, it's because God is pleased with us, and um, He's obviously not pleased with this country because ever since I can remember, this country has been at war with one group of people or another. Um, so they, as a leader, as a group, are attributing their um, the providence and the peace and the quietness that they have to a man and not to God. And so in verse 3, it says, We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Not to God, but but to you. And so in verse 4 here, again, a little bit more flattery. He's going to um, say that they expect um, to receive from Felix, you know, gentleness and fairness in the proceedings that are going to follow, which is contrary to the way that um, Felix operates, obviously. Otherwise, he wouldn't be seeking a um, bribe to release Paul. So it's all... It's all entangled with lies and, and just gracious words, and they're going to present themselves as though they are very uh, reasonably minded um, <coughs> in the uh, charges that they lay against Paul, um, which they do. Um, in verse uh, 5, they're going to drop some charges here. They're going to say he's a pestilent um, fellow and a mover of sedition, but they don't really explain what sedition he's promoting. Is that sedition against Roman? Is that sedition against national Israel? They don't say anything. They just say that he's doing it uh, all throughout the world. Um, um, And that's a rather broad statement. And that he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now that's true. He is. And so we'll talk about that in just a minute here. And they claim that he has profaned the temple. Um, But before we get into this and we look at some of these, I want us to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 19 because there's something that we should appreciate that's in the Mosaic law. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. It would be nice if we had this law um, in our books, and I think it would change a lot of court proceedings. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19. We're going to read verses 15 through 21 in Deuteronomy 19 verses 15 through 21 it says one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sign in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two or three witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established so they're already telling us right here that no man can come in any one particular person it's not just going to be my word against your word it requires more than one witness to testify against somebody, and that's why when the Lord was being um, uh, falsely charged, they had to find two witnesses against him. And so they would bring in one or two, you know, individuals, and they couldn't get their witness to agree with one another. And then finally, they found some guys they you know, where their witnesses were to agree. And they go, okay, now we got two. Um, in verse 16, if a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong. Then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in that day. So we're going to get into this when we move into John chapter um, 8. But when matters are difficult to judge, they're supposed to be brought to the high priest to be judged. So if the judges can't work it out, then it's to be brought before the priest you should appreciate here in Acts chapter 24 that the priests are not judging it and as a nation they're not judging the matter but it's being judged by somebody who's been appointed by the Romans so they they are not a sovereign nation certainly they've it's been removed from them because they have been a difficult and stiff necked people and disobedient to God and in Deuteronomy 28 he tells them that if you reject me then you'll suffer the consequences of it in verse 18 here it says and the judges shall make diligent inquisition and behold If the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother, and so shall the evil be put away from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, in our society, we seem to have people lying in court all the time. And these days, they barely get their wrists slapped for what they have done. But God's law is this. If you're going to bear false witness against somebody, whatever that crime is, that, uh, the consequences of which they would have been subject to, that now falls upon you. So if you're going to accuse somebody of, let's say, a capital offense for which the penalty is death, and you're found to be a false witness, you are to be put to death. So uh, it's... Um, quite um, important <laughs> that you don't lie in court because if you do lie in court you will suffer the consequences of what you have accused the other individual of and so hope you can appreciate we can go back to Acts 24 that when people were uh, falsely accusing Christ of a capital punishment every single one of those people are guilty of, of death and, and shall be put to death so again these people here are coming down they're bearing false witness against Paul um, but. There's nothing in the Roman law that he is guilty of, which we'll get into in a minute here. It's only an issue really to do with the Mosaic law, and they're still lying about the Mosaic law. So keep in mind that these guys here are guilty of conspiracy to commit um, murder. So the fact that he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes is something that we need to pay attention to here, because that's the same word... If you'll keep your finger there on verse five, go look up in verse fourteen. The word that's translated heresy up there is also uh, the same word as the word sex, sect in um, Acts fourteen, uh, Acts twenty four fourteen. Uh, By this I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets. So we'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to appreciate there that they are accusing him of being a ringleader of a particular sect of uh, their religion. Now, the sect of the Nazarenes, where does that term Nazarene come from? It comes from Jesus being of Nazareth. And you recall that in the Gospel of John, that when they were uh, going to arrest him, they they came up to Christ and he says, whom seek ye? (coughs) And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. We're looking for a particular individual, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, over in Acts chapter 22, when the Lord appears uh, to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul is reiterating here in verse 8 of Acts 22, Jesus identifies himself, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. again, a particular individual. And so Paul being a ringleader of the excuse me, sect of the Nazarenes is indicative that what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching Christ. Christ is the um, consummation of the gospel. He himself is the gospel. So by going forth and preaching um, Christ, preaching Jesus of Nazareth, he is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, verse 6 here, who hath also gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. Now, that is patently false. They would not have judged him according to the law. They would have judged him contrary to the law because that you'll recall that that particular trial started out with them smiting Paul on the face contrary to the law. He says, judge me according according to the law, and then smitest thou me contrary to the law. So that is patently false. They're not gonna judge him according to the law, but rather contrary uh, to the law. He was not in the temple to profane it, and Paul addresses that when he says, hey, I I came bearing alms to my country and offerings. Well, offerings in the temple. They actually found him purified in the temple. He was in obeyance and conformity with the Mosaic law. So that charge doesn't uh, merit any consideration at, at all. Now in verse 7 here, they're going to embellish things a little bit here, and they're not going to explain why maybe the captain with great violence took them out of their hands. Verse 7, it says, but the chief captain Lystra came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Well, why did he do that? Well, because they were going to tear him apart, Um, but they're making it sound as though that the uh, Romans have done something meddling into their affair that they should not have um, done so. And in verse 8, uh, Claudius Lystra did, in fact, do this, commanding his accusers to come before thee, come down to Caesarea, by examining uh, of whom they, of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And then you have your uh, peanut gallery there up in verse 9, and the Jews also assented saying that these things were so. Yeah, I can just see them all up there nodding their heads. Oh, yeah, yeah, all that happened. Yeah, you bet, that happened. Paul's later going to say, well, if it happened, then why don't these people testify to that? Fact, which they don't. They all, they all keep their silence there. Now, in verse 10, we can appreciate that Paul acknowledges Felix as judge because he, in fact, is the judge. And as I said, he's not being judged by the high priest, which he should have been judged by had they been a sovereign nation obedient to God. He should have been judged by the judges in the city gates. That's what the book of Deuteronomy says they should do is that matters start to be judged by the elders of a city in the city gates. And if not... If it's too difficult for them it's supposed to go to the high priest um, but that's not taking place because obviously as a nation they are out of favor with god they have been disobedient un- unto god <clears throat> now he's acknowledging that he has been many years a judge of their nation he says i do the more cheerfully answer for myself that's in verse 10 in other words, he appreciates that since he's been in his office uh, at least, um, what, six years? He's been in the office uh, six years, that he has an appreciation or at least an under, uh, a rudimentary understanding of some of the Jewish um, um, religion, uh, some, of their, some of their laws. So he should have an appreciation of that. His wife is a Jewish. It says that in verse 24, and so uh, she should have um, shared with him certain things that are consistent and unique to um, Jewish way of life and Jewish law. So he says, I I can appreciate that you might understand these things, and because I think you understand these things, I the more cheerfully answer for myself. in verse 11 he sets the timeline before him he says because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship that can be easily proven I went up there twelve days ago you know I went before James that can be proven I then went through this process of purification that can be proven that's a seven-day process you know, And then um, I was arrested and, you know, and, and taken up into the castle and then spent a night there and then came down here and I've been here for a period of time. So all of his time can be accounted for and can be, can be proven. Certainly no time for him to have done all of the things that they have accused him of. So he's um, putting together, he's, or he's um, speaking in his defense um, and dealing with the charges that they have, that they have uh, endeavored to set before him. And verse 12, it says, And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man. That is a fact. He was not disputing it with anybody. He was in there quietly with the individuals that he had at charges with respect to the vow that was upon them. And uh, there was a case, simple case of mistaken identity, which he doesn't go into there. Um, But he says, uh, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues or in the city. Hey, I was only there a few days. I wasn't in the synagogues. I wasn't in the city stirring things up. They found me in in the uh, temple, and I was uh, quietly there, as a matter of fact. Um, Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. And that that is obvious, uh, because there isn't time for him to have accomplished any of those things. Now, verse 14, he says before them... um, a truth, but also a conviction against the ones who have brought him there. Now, you recall that the Jews were divided into at least two sects, uh, religious sects in particular, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees, of course, do not believe in angels or the resurrection, and that came up at the last trial he have, but the Pharisees do. And so the fact that he's making a statement here is indicative that most of the people that came down are Pharisees. Uh, but this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy or the sect, so I worship, uh, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. In verse 15 it says, And have hope towards God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and and of the unjust. They themselves also allow it. You recall when he was tried before that other group, that that's the wrench that he threw into the group because he could see that they were a divided house. That was in Acts 23, 6. There it says, When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And then, of course, everything fell apart because then the Sadducees and the Pharisees were divided uh, one against another. So he's bringing that up again. He says they themselves allow this. So he's obviously, um, the bulk of the group there would be um, Pharisees. Now, (coughs) he's also letting Felix appreciate, and he should know this, that there are different sects within the Jewish religion. And... um, Christianity comes out of that, in so much it's—if I can use the language here—Christianity began in Genesis one one, and it has extended all through the Scripture. And there have been all these, in this case, heretical off branches from it. But the one true, um, the one truth in all of the Scriptures is about Christ and the the, the resurrection through justification by God. And so by telling him that there are these different sects within the, the uh, Jewish religion, and this is another one like that, then um, Felix is going to uh, think that, well, there's no problem with that. This is certainly nothing that is isn't at variance with even the Jewish religion, I'll put that word in quotes, and certainly not a problem with the Romans because they allowed people whom they had conquered to worship their own gods. Um, they didn't come in there and impose other gods uh, among them. They would tempt them with other gods certainly but they allowed them to worship uh, whatever they had been worshiping persecution against christianity has always been unique and there's a reason for that of course because satan since genesis chapter three onward has always been at war with the christians he's always been opposing all the things that is truly christian and truly uh, associated with the one true and living god and so that thread is all through scripture but. People that worship all sorts of false religions are not persecuted by Satan. Only the Christian is. So this is a, in Felix's mind, well, this is just another sect, and it's not at variance with, with Roman law. So there is not a problem here. And he's telling him here that this is consistent with the, what the God of the, his fathers believed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as the Lord says in the Gospels, I am the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was God. So there is a direct relationship between what Paul believes and the true Christianity that is extended all the way through the Scriptures. And as he says here, that he believes all things which are written in the law and the prophets. believes all things that are written in the law and the prophets. You recall on the road to Emmaus in uh, Luke chapter 24, um, the Lord says to the individuals there... um, well, I think he says, O fools and slow of heart. It's verse 25 of Luke 24. O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Everything in the scripture testifies of Christ. All the prophets were speaking of Christ. All of the law testifies of Christ. So everything in the Bible speaks of Christ. And the Lord says that himself in John 5 um, Thirty-nine, I believe it is that um, search the scripture for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Everything in the scripture testifies and teaches about Christ. Psalm chapter 40, um, lo I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And so Paul is saying, hey, their books testify about the things that I believe and the things that I'm doing. It's written in all the law of prophets. I believe it all. In verse 15, and have hope towards God which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Well, they should allow it because it was written in the book of Daniel in very clear language. In Daniel chapter 12, um, the Lord tells us through the prophet Daniel. I'll pick it up in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12. I'll read 1 and 2. Daniel chapter 12. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered. Here's the qualifying statement. Everyone that is found written in the book. That would be the book of life. There's always a qualifying statement. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So he's speaking about a resurrection here, a resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto death. Now on Sunday we talked about that, and it's coming up again today here. There are two types of resurrection. There's a resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto um, death. In John chapter 5, verse 28 of John chapter 5, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. That's exactly what it says, almost exactly what it says in Daniel chapter uh, 12 there. They're going to hear his voice. It's going to be Christ who's going to speak at the last trump, and you'll find language in the book of Revelation that speaks about his voice being like a trumpet. They're going to hear his voice. That's going to be the last trump. In verse 29, and shall come forth. They which have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they which have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So it's two types of resurrection, one to life and one unto death. Now don't get caught up in the language here about those that have done good unto the resurrection of life because we know that in us dwelleth no good thing. Um, And so that if anything can be said good about the things that we have done, it's because Christ is working in us and through us to do those good works that he hath before ordained that we should walk in. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So, two types of resurrections. Now, up in verse 24 of John chapter 5, up in verse 24, he speaks about uh, the present time in the context of if anybody hears the gospel you know, and believes on it in their heart, then they are raised from death to life. So, the raised from death to life if you hear the gospel and the Lord applies it to your, to your hearts. And that is a resurrection also. That's a resurrection unto life. And Verse 24 of John 5 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. So if you hear his voice, then you have come to life in the context of if you've heard the gospel. Verse 25, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. Right now, today, right now when the Lord was speaking, right now, today, whenever you hear the gospel, you come to life. So he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear his voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. So if you hear the voice of Christ, when somebody is preaching the gospel, then you are raised uh, to life. And so we also looked on Sunday, and it's always good to review these things, in Revelation chapter 20. It uses the term second death and I want us to appreciate, it uses the word, uh, the language, this is the first resurrection, and then it speaks of the second death. And so I want you to link um, John chapter 5 with Revelation chapter 20, so you can appreciate this. In verse 5, um, it's speaking about individuals that live and reign, in verse 4, and live and reign with Christ a thousand years. That has to do with the Christian church in general. That thousand years is, um, is a representative period of time from the cross until the second coming of Christ. And so it speaks of those people who have um, uh, come to life through the preaching of the gospel and says, and they reign with Christ a thousand years. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The first resurrection is everybody that has come to life through the preaching of the gospel. Verse 6 of Revelation 20 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no power. So if you've been raised to life through the preaching of the gospel, the second death hath no power. Well, what's the second death? That's being cast into the lake of fire. And that explanation is given in verse 14. In verse 14 of Revelation 20, it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death that's being cast in the lake of fire is the second death. Remember, Jesus says, Fear not he that can can destroy the body, but he that can destroy the body and soul and cast them into hell. First death is the death of your body. Second death, of which Christians uh, do not um, concern themselves with, the second death is casting the body and soul into hell. So um, I want you to think of that as two types of resurrections. Not people get it in their head, that there's going to be a rapture, you know, all the people that are in the graves are like going up to be with the Lord, and then seven years later, people that are alive will be raptured and meet them in the air. No, there's not two resurrections for the just and two for the dead. No, it's one resurrection for the just, one resurrection for the dead. Forget this idea about a, seven, a rapture and a seven-year tribulation and all that. Um, just get that out of your head. Um, and we can talk about that later. You'll find the truth of that written in John chapter 6 and 1 Thessalonians about the timing and that there's going to be one. Um, now, back to Acts. So, in any anyway, event, Paul has set this truth before Felix, and he set it before the um, council there, insomuch so much as they hold this truth also, that there is a resurrection. And uh, that's in verse 15. In verse 16, he says, "...and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscious void of offense towards God and towards men." Now we've talked about that before. Is why is he's got a clear conscience? He has a clear conscience because it's been cleaned, it's been purged um, by God. And we talked about that in Hebrews chapter nine and Hebrews chapter ten about how we are not conscious of our guilt uh, because Christ has taken that from us. You remember the sins that you've done. Yeah, it's not like you're unconscious. It's that. Uh, um, you no longer bear the burden of sin because your sins have been imputed to Christ. And so Paul is, knows that his conscience is clean before God and it's clean before men because he has been preaching the whole counsel of God and uh, endeavoring to, uh, that men would receive the gospel and their sins would be forgiven. So here he is in the middle of this courtroom and he's done nothing wrong. And of a truth he's he is in fact innocent of certainly all of the charges they have set before him to be a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes is not a charge of any kind anyway. Um, Verse 17, now after many years, I came to to bring alms to my nation and offering, which he has in fact uh, done. So as again, he's engaging in charitable works towards his nation and they are receiving him uh, in a most uh, hostile manner. Uh, Verse 18, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult. That is exactly what is true. That is a true statement there, that he was not engaged in any um, nefarious activities. He was not at variance with the law in any way, shape, or form. He did not bring Gentiles into the temple. And having been purified according to their law, he did not profane the temple in, in any way. He was obedient, as all Christians indeed um, should be, to those things that are glorifying to God. Um, In verse 19, he says, These individuals, speaking of those certain Jews which found him in the temple, should have been here before thee and objected if they had aught against me. But they don't have anything against him because they know that he did not do anything wrong. As a matter of fact, they would humiliate and embarrass themselves if truth be known that it was a case of mistaken identity. They thought he was with a a certain Ephesian in the temple, a Greek, and he wasn't. Um, Or else, let these same hearsay if they have found any evil doing in me, while I stood before the council." Now he's making a reference to the previous trial he had, and nothing was ever laid to his charge at that, and they didn't find anything wrong with him on on that occasion. Um, In verse 9 of Acts 23, it says, "'We find no evil in this man.'" So they essentially had acquitted him at the previous one. And uh, that would have been the end of the matter had they not sought to tear him to pieces and force Claudius Lyster to come down and and drag him out of that one um, too. So again, He's um, doing a good job at undermining all of their charges against him, showing that he's innocent of them. And then in verse 21, he says, Really, this is the only thing they have against me, except that it be for this one voice that I cried uh, standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead. I am called in question by you this day. Now, he's already, what he's doing is he's pointing out their hypocrisy. That's why I'm here is because of my position on the resurrection. And he's already set up there in verse 15, which they themselves allow. So they have, no, they have nothing to charge him with that's at variance with Jewish law or Roman law. There is nothing that they can lay against um, his charge. And the Lord says that. Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that justifieth. <clears throat> Verse 22, And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lystras, the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. Now, that's one of those nice political statements. He really should have acquitted him. Like, well, there's, He's committed no crimes here. He should have let him go. But, he a, a, like many people, he has a fear of man. And so, undoubtedly, he's afraid of the, uh, that he might enrage the Jews if he lets him go, so he defers. And he says, well, you know, we're going to just take this one step further. We need to hear a little bit more about it. And we see people do that all the time these days. Um, People render judgment, not based on what is right in front of them, but what people will think of them when they render judgment. And so he's, uh, he defers. Now, Claudius Lystra never comes down. So he, it was just pacifying the Jews that he continued to hold him there. Now, we can appreciate in verse 23 that he commands a centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister uh, to him. And I appreciate that Paul's essentially in protective custody. He can have people come to him, uh, but he can't go anywhere, and they're going to screen everybody that comes to him. So even though um, um, Felix here is doing what he's doing, he's really um, helping Paul in the sense that he's keeping him um, protected. Now, Christ told Paul that he was going to go to Rome. And this is a wonderful example of where Christians need to be patient And wait on the Lord. He's going to sit here for two years before uh, things advance uh, towards towards Rome. And uh, I certainly don't know where his heart was on this matter, but I would think by this stage of his Christian walk, he would know that God is certainly uh, directing his steps and directing the steps of all of the people that are around him. Um, you may recall from Exodus chapter, um, I think it's Exodus, it's throughout the book of Exodus, it's in multiple chapters, that God hardened Pharaoh's hearts, or he said he would harden Pharaoh's hearts on three occasions. And so God is hardening the hearts and he's uh, turning the hearts of these men like the rivers of water, whithersoever he willeth, um, to make sure that Paul gets to Rome exactly when he wants Paul to get to Rome. And he's going to visit with everybody he wants Paul to visit with uh, before that time, and as I shared with you, he's going to have Drusilla now, and Felix are going to sit before the preaching of the gospel. Agrippa and Bernice are going to hear it. Um, so God is going to make sure that the gospel goes to everywhere he wants it to go. And these individuals, whom I mentioned earlier, are political um, players, well placed within the, uh, the Roman structure, that they are going to hear the, um, the gospel. Um, so this is a lesson to us. We all need to be patient. And, and wait on the Lord to uh, work things out on our behalf um, for uh, our benefit and for the, um, that the gospel would prosper as the Lord wants it to. Now verse 24 here it says that after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewish Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now you'll notice that Paul really didn't preach the gospel in verse 20 in chapter, uh, earlier in chapter 24. Um, but he's gonna preach it now and so uh, God has directed these individuals to come and sit before the preaching of the gospel but what's grievous and this is something that that we need to appreciate is God will open opportunities windows of opportunity and then he'll close them he'll open it he'll bring in uh, an individual to preach the gospel to somebody they don't receive it he removes that individual sends them somewhere else and the uh, that opportunity has come and gone for them So. I'd mentioned to you how corrupt Felix was. Well, his wife is every bit as corrupt as, as he is. And what's, there's a couple of things that are really sad here uh, to note. And it's indicative of where men's consciousness can be. The Bible speaks about having your conscience seared. Well, that would appear to be the case with his wife, Drusilla. Felix being corrupt, and they are living a a debaucherous and licentious lifestyle. As I mentioned, these people are swapping wives around. The um, the women are engaged in these things uh, too as they move from man to man. man. Um, Felix is uh, corruptible and corrupted and he's cruel. And uh, Paul is going to preach the gospel to him and preach against those things very much like John the Baptist did. And so we should appreciate his courage in doing so because how did it end up for John? Well, he was beheaded. Um, But... Christians always have to speak the the, uh, the truth. You know, in meekness and fear, you were gracious about it. I'm sure he wasn't wagging his finger at him, but he was preaching the, the truth. So in verse 25, it says here, speaking of Paul, that he reasoned of righteousness. That would be the righteousness of God. That's the standard by which all men are held. People think, seem to think that they're, as I read mentioned earlier, that each man and every one will declare his own goodness. People think, seem to think that there's something good in them. Most people do. And when you attack their self-righteousness, of course, they um, be, can become quite hostile to you. But people, everyone must understand that you are compared with the righteousness of Christ. Only... Um, Perfect holiness, as it's found in God, is acceptable uh, before God, and that helps us to appreciate second corinthians five twenty one about just as our sin was imputed to Christ, the righteousness of God was imputed to the christian you can 't get more righteous than God, obviously, but anything short of that um, is you're subject to eternal damnation, so as I said before, you know if you if you think that your works plus what Christ did on your behalf is going to uh, merit you any favor it won't because any any trust you place in yourself is indicative that it's trust that and faith that you don't have in Christ um, and God won't stand for it uh, I've shared with us this with us before but God will judge sin everywhere he finds it including if he finds it in himself which he found in his son he found sin in him because he imputed our sin to him and he judged his son if he judged his son do you think he's going to let anybody else off the hook well the answer is no of course not it wouldn't make any sense at all so in verse 25, he reasoned uh, of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. And he obviously pricked Felix in his heart. It says, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time when I shall have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So you think to yourself, oh, well, he made some inroads there. This, you know, Maybe he'll come in and he's going to want to hear it again. How many times have we been in that place when we think somebody is hearing what we're saying? We think they're hearing the gospel. We think they're being uh, solicitous towards us. And so we continue to spend time with them. Um, but they're not hearing it all. They're not hearing it all. There's something of you that they want. <laughs> and that's the case here. So while he might have trembled, um, it left his heart because the Lord didn't impress the truth upon his heart. God has to apply these truths to our heart. And God obviously did not apply the truth to his heart. Sadly, his wife didn't tremble. She didn't hear what um, the... Lord said through the Apostle Paul, and that's probably because her conscience was seared. She, being a Jewess, would know what the laws are. She's committing adultery in the, in her marriage here, and it's obviously of no concern to her, so she's already got her heart hardened, and so she wasn't interested in anything that um, the Apostle Paul had to say. Now, again, we see that in verse 26 here, that the reason um, Felix sent for him was so that he could... Uh, be offered money. So we thought that if we just keep dragging this thing out here, you know, if Paul doesn't offer me money, maybe some of the people that come and see Paul uh, will offer me uh, money here. So it says, he hoped that also that money should be given him of Paul, that he might loose him, wherefore he sent for him the more often and communed with him. Um, and so one of the things as Christians you have to appreciate and this um is one of the reasons I I caution people in the ministries that they engage in is because if people think they're going to receive something from you they will tie up your time and they will tie up your resources and you are thinking to yourself well um, they are receiving some portion of the gospel and they just need to come to a more perfect understanding of it Um, and so you continue to minister to them and they seem quite agreeable and then uh, they become what I call and as an old term, didn't come from me they become rice christians as long as you're feeding them rice, they'll uh, be agreeable to whatever that you have to say. And so I suspect some of that was taking place here with respect to Felix, is that he was listening to Paul, but really what he was after was, uh, was money, um, that he would receive a bride verse twenty seven and you can see that nothing uh, none of the truth uh, landed on this man's heart because after two years uh, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room Felix was removed from office because the Jews then laid charges against him having flattered him earlier in in chapter twenty four they then they then laid charges against him and he was taken off and tried and his influential brother got him acquitted from it Um, but what does he do Willing to show the Jews a pleasure, he now binds Paul. Paul had not been bound up to this point, but just kept in uh, protective custody. He'd been at liberty to receive people, but now he's actually going to put him in chains. And he's doing so to please the Jews um, who have laid a charge against him. And uh, it says here that willing to show the Jews a pleasure, he left Paul uh, bound. And you see that when um, he's before King Agrippa, uh, in verse 29 of Acts 26, uh, it says, And Paul said, I would to God that not only so... Um, in verse 28, Then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou hast persuaded me to be a Christian. And verse 29, Paul's response is, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, in other words, I want everybody to hear the gospel, were also almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. So there he is shackled uh, apparently in front of King Agrippa and having been shackled by um, by Felix as he turned custody of Paul over to Porcius Festus and that uh, would help us I think appreciate again the antagonism that the Jews had towards Paul that he's been kept there for two years and now he's in chains and he's gonna to go to the next um, phase of his trial as, he, as the Lord preserves him and um, slowly takes him uh, to Rome. Um, as I've said in the past, and we can, uh, should appreciate this as Christians, that there's no rational reason for um, persecution against Christians. They're obedient. Um, they're told in the scriptures to you know, obey every ordinance of man, to honor the king, you know, pay tribute when tribute is due, custom when custom is due, and yet they're persecuted. And the reason they're persecuted is because Satan is multigenerational and as I've shared with us in the past, Herod is a type of Satan. He pops up multiple times in the Scriptures, and he's always antagonistic towards the Gospel, sometimes in a very subtle way. Um, and so it is with Satan. You know, He comes as an angel of the light, and his ministers as ministers of righteousness, and so they're always working in opposition to persecute or shut up the uh, Christian. So keep that in mind, that uh, it's not you people hate. It, it's Christ they hate, and they hate you because you represent Christ. So though it's always after... Um, and antagonism directed at Christ. So um, with that, uh, we'll conclude our lesson. Amen. Amen.